0: Hello, I'm Meghna Joshi, and I'm pleased to teach you.
1: Welcome, listeners. Uh, Last week, we interviewed Ralph Greenwald. Um, uh, This week, we're going to be interviewing someone who's also been to Germany, but she's originally from India. Uh, her name is Meghna Joshi. I had her as an anthropology teacher last quarter, and she had a wonderful story to tell about where she's been and how she got where she is. So I introduce you, Meghna Joshi.
0: I'm from India. I was born and brought up in India. Um, I was born in Mumbai, so west-central, I would say, but I really lived um, all over India because my dad was in the army. So by the time I was in... Th- 10th grade, I believe I had changed about seven schools.
1: What was your college experience? Um, you
0: I had them? a wonderful college experience, really. I um, When I say college, I refer to both my uh, bachelor's, my BA time, and then later on, master's. Um, um,
1: in anthropology?
0: No. Or actually, anthropology came to me very, very late in life. Okay. Um, but I believe it sort of was something that everything else was leading up to it in one sense and of course one doesn't know that beforehand you realize it only later when you think about it uh, but because of this background where i was changing schools a lot and living in different places i um, i really got to be and live with students and peers who were very different from me not necessarily from the same state that i belonged to not speaking the same language yeah. uh, so that was already the beginning of you know curiosity into how is it that different people exist, uh, talk differently, think differently, maybe have different sorts of logics. And this sounds a little curious because you might turn around and say, well, they're all from India, so what are you talking about? But there is so much of diversity of class, caste, religious groups, language, etc., that it truly can be like entering a strange place if you're in a different state in India and you're not familiar with it. I think so that was sort of the beginning of my interest in anthro, which I was to only discover later. But um, I did my college in, um, in Pune, which is a small town, hardly small now, mm-hmm. but it's smaller compared to Bombay. Um, okay. I studied psychology, German, um, and a bunch of others. So I would say my double major would be psychology and German. Okay. If to put it in the American system language, because yes. <laughs> we we had specializations, we didn't have majors, it was slightly different. Yeah. Um, colleges uh, in India, I believe even now is a very different experience uh, from um, what I have seen my students go through at Rutgers where I got my PhD and now at Central Washington. Uh, it was for us a very, very um, carefree period, unlike... Uh, a lot of my students who work two jobs or who just uh, have a lot of financial worries because uh, education here is so expensive. Yeah, We didn't have that. Uh, what that meant was that one could focus on work um, and also pick up a hobby, pursue a hobby. So I remember my college days very fondly. Uh, I enjoyed learning German. I enjoyed my psychology classes. I wanted to do child development, uh, but it sort of, didn't really materialize I then ended up doing a master's in social work uh, but still with a specialization in family and child welfare so I think somewhere it was still brewing in my head that I wanted to work with children of families um, after my masters I, I worked for some time and it was during work that I was in a small rural village in northern India in the state of Uttarakhand and um, i was confronted by a young woman she must have been in her early 20s um, who who told me that the reproductive health project that my nonprofit was working on had absolutely no conceptualization of reproductive health for for women who could not conceive so she told me that your organization comes here and tells us about breastfeeding it tells us about a safe delivery tells us about hygiene, etc. But it never tells us about what we can do if we don't have children. And I realized that she was about 22 years old, had been married for three years and uh, was undergoing, um, I mean, she was facing a lot of pressure socially and otherwise because she had not conceived. And uh, that was sort of um, a catalyst moment for me because I started rethinking how we think about Reproduction, women, gender, um, and what we sort of miss, and what gets gets totally invisibilized because we frame things a certain way. Uh, and India being a more of a overpopulated country, the the question of infertility sort of gets hidden even more. In fact, uh, a very um, yeah. okay. well known um, anthropologist has written about infertility in places that are overpopulated and she calls it a phenomenon of barrenness among plenty Hmm. because you generally are concerned with more like stop reproducing or India is overpopulated you know so this kind of um, suffering then gets completely hidden and invisibilized so I was interested in understanding more of this and I came back to Mumbai or Bombay and I started what is called a MPhil degree which is like a which is like a degree between your master's and PhD um, and I worked for almost two years uh, collecting data with um, in the slums in Mumbai um, seven eight different slum areas uh, where I talked to women and and also to some men who were willing to talk to me about infertility these were basically couples who hadn't had children uh, anywhere between two years after marriage till up to 15 years you know so they were either married that long or they had just recently been married and yeah and i started looking at their experiences and basically my dissertation was about um the experiences of of these women in low-income groups in slums in mumbai in a place where overpopulation is the main concern and not infertility and yeah and i did that kind of research so you know it's it's like it's sort of there is a common thread to all these interests and research um but um but i never really was exposed to anthropology because it's a it's very much a colonial discipline uh and places like india haven't (laughs) developed this discipline as much it's more of sociology in india than anthropology
1: yeah
0: but I was also later on working in rural Himalayas uh on women's health and reproductive health issues yes. uh, in another non profit and it was there that during a during a field visit, a professor from another university who had brought in a bunch of girls to look at the nonprofit and its workings, she spoke to me and she introduced me to the idea of medical anthropology and she said, "Do you know that there's a field like this and And I said, you know, of course, I know and I have done some readings, but I really don't actually know what this is about because it doesn't exist in India per se, you know. And I'm talking about almost 10 years ago, you know. Uh, So in any case, uh, so this was part of my sort of personal come professional intermixing of motivations and desires and ideas about what I should do with my work and life. And then later on united states happened primarily because um my partner was um, coming here and uh, he uh, enrolled in a phd program and uh, he's the one who sort of then set off this thought process in my head that you know perhaps this is something that i i could also do Uh, and eventually being here being surrounded by university folks and being able to have access to other students who were doing anthropology um, sort of made it more and more clear to me that this is what I wanted to choose Um, and I applied for uh, PhD programs I had admission in both public health as well as anthro programs but by then I was quite clear that it was anthropology and not public health and yeah and that's how I ended up uh, seven eight years ago I started my PhD program at Rutgers. I finished my PhD in cultural anthropology. I worked in Berlin in Germany on infertility in a very different context. So I kind of come a full circle in that sense. Uh, And then uh, I'm here now teaching at Central Washington.
1: So can I ask what the when the transition between India and Germany was?
0: I spent about, I, I mean, I, the first time I went to Germany was in 1998 on a language scholarship because like I was telling you, college was carefree, carefree days for us. It wasn't work like it is and it didn't mean financial burden on our parents or us. So we were free to pursue uh, hobbies. And one of the things that I did during college was I learned German. And I got a language scholarship to go to Germany. So 1998 was my first visit. I was there for about three months. And then I actually just didn't really engage with German at all because I was doing all these things that I was telling you. And then when I started my PhD program, I had an advisor who's, who's half German. His dad is, uh, sorry, his mom is German. And he is the one who always encouraged uh, students who were especially not from the United States to to study the West or to study somebody who is other than them, quote unquote, other, you know. And that was a moment where it struck me that, you know, a lot of things are leading me to Germany because first and foremost, I won't have to learn a, another language. I already know the language. And secondly, it provides an extremely interesting anthropological contrast to India, whereas India infertility is this question of barrenness among plenty, like I was saying. In Germany, it has been spoken of as only in terms of voluntary childlessness or choice. And uh, some doctors even termed it a social disease, you know? Uh, So it would be a very interesting and a contrasting sort of way to look at it. So then after 98, actually, I went back to Germany only uh, in 2010, 11, 12 and 13 so over this period I was I would say I was in Germany for a total of maybe three years but scattered and concentrated during these last couple of years because okay. of my research interesting hmm.
1: so what's your favorite part about teaching here like what's
0: teaching at central
1: yeah your, which <laughs> class is your favorite teach? of the ones that you're teaching Mm -hmm.
0: I like I I definitely like teaching introduction to cultural anthropology and I like teaching medical anthropology
1: uh I really love that class and I had to recommend a lot of my friends to your medical class because we every time I would read an article or in the medical section of the intro to anthro um I would have to read it out loud to my friend Jonathan and say Jonathan come here look you might like this so um, I'm trying to point him in your direction, <laughs> so okay um last question what is your favorite kind of food out of curiosity hmm.
0: that's a good question oh man i i you, honestly i i love Indian food <laughs> I don't really have to go very far um but mm, yeah i i i love indian food i i like um I like Middle Eastern also, uh, but I'm quite happy with the range and variety that we have in, in you know, uh, I'm not very fond of meat. So in that sense, I kind of don't really tend to say that I like, I don't know, burgers or uh, steak. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I eat meat, but I'm not extremely fond of it. So the options left for me then are limited, you know? Yeah. Does that make
1: living in Germany hard? Because not at all. I heard. They love meat and potatoes, and the <laughs> vegetables are very scarce. <laughs> no, it's but actually my only experience with Germany is my parents talking about their visit. So
0: oh no no it's uh no <laughs> no, no it's very different and it all depends upon where you are. If you live in a place like Berlin, you get everything from Vietnamese to Indian to that makes sense. Mexican to everything. You know, so uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it wasn't hard for me at all. It depends on where you are. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, If you have advice you would want to give the students?
0: I mean, I could say a lot of things, but I am already thinking about um, the challenges to actually fulfilling some of them. Um, For instance, I would always recommend that, if possible, you pursue a hobby. And I know that it sounds very old-fashioned and kind of like boring, but it's something that'll stay with you for a very long time especially if you take up something that you like this previous person was saying like doing and you never know when it'll sort of be your companion and when it'll come in handy to to occupy you to make you feel like you're doing something creative and productive to help you with i don't know to be a companion during lonely times whatever but it's it's uh in all that you are already doing you know if you can do something that you really like and make it a hobby something that you pursue i think that would be really good if that's possible at all
1: (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. all right thank you yeah that's all i have for this week the cover art for this podcast is brought to you by catherine guvar this is a bi-monthly podcast hopefully i'll be posting on mondays if you or someone you know has a question about the show, feel free to contact me at to teach you at yahoo.com. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.